This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 32 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, May 17th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and in this episode, we absorb the news of Unreal Engine 5's arrival into Next Gen, chat Tony Hawk remasters, and speak with renowned voice actor Sissy Jones about her many roles across the gaming industry, ranging from The Walking Dead and Firewatch to the upcoming Series X title, Call of the Sea. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And that ecosystem is sure to stand on its head with the latest reveal out of Epic Games, Unreal Engine 5. The latest iteration of the Unreal Engine running on next-gen hardware is sure to bring excitement to first- and third-party developers alike. And Epic did it in a rather unique way, which turned some heads, I believe, and raised some eyebrows and a number of questions that it arose. But there's no doubt that it was impressive. In a demo called The Nanite and the Lumen, they showcased this tech exclusively on a PlayStation 5. Now, it looked positively stunning, and it took a bit of pressing on Tim Sweeney, Epic's uh, head honcho, to find out whether or not this tech would work on an Xbox Series X, and in short, the TLDR of it at all is that, absolutely, it'll run on an Xbox Series X. Why would you design an engine for next-gen that's meant to be used across PC, console, mobile spaces that didn't work on an Xbox Series X? However, it was stated very clearly that the Nanite and the Lumen demo was made and designed to showcase the architecture of the PlayStation 5 working alongside Unreal Engine. So it's a bit of a, mi a mixed uh, impression here in that PlayStation was working very closely with Epic to showcase this tech, but this tech is absolutely designed to work on an Xbox Series X. Continued pressure from, from media and, and discussion points across the internets suggested that uh, people were worried somehow that the Nanite and the Lumen couldn't run on an Xbox Series X. And in fact, that's a bit of a misnomer. It's simply put that it was designed and optimized for a PlayStation 5, and what we understand it to be at this point is that it hasn't really been tested on Xbox Series X because there was no reason to. The Nanite and the Lumen demo itself was designed specifically to work with the PlayStation, and there's no reason to think that it that Unreal Engine 5 wouldn't work on, on an Xbox Series X. So I think we can all relax just a little bit there in, in our fear because it would be very awkward to make an engine for next-gen to run on all devices and then purposely exclude an Xbox Series X, which is, for all intents and purposes, based on the paper specs we see, extremely impressive and, and comparable, if not more powerful, than a PlayStation 5. Now, let's talk about this demo in general. If you haven't treated yourself to going to watch it in 4K, you absolutely should, because the lighting, the dynamics, the physics, 
all super impressive the way that they manipulated 3d 3d space and showcased the way that light bounces and moves across certainly put anything we've seen during this generation to shame and should excite you for whatever it is you're going to see in next gen I was personally quite excited by the idea that if this is what next-gen is going to bring us, far beyond anything we've seen in an inside Xbox, discussed in a state of play, far beyond the best of the best of this generation in a game like Spider-Man, Ghost of Tsushima, or uh, Red Dead 2, it is stunning. It's just simply stunning to think that for all the paper specs we see, this is what next-gen gaming could look like. It really puts into, pers into perspective that we don't have a clear idea of just how much these systems will be able to do two, three, four years after their release once developers have had their hands on time with multiple engines, not just Unreal, with the hardware, found loopholes to, to maximize and optimize the best of it. I am extremely excited by this. Now, to be uh, one more specific a bit more specific rather in what they're trying to do with Unreal Engine 5 is make this a seamless transition for a couple of their games. Games like Fortnite, which are going to be launch titles onto next gen, including Xbox Series X. That will make the transition over to Unreal Engine 5 in 2021 at some point, but we'll be using Unreal Engine 4 for now. It was also stated and kind of hinted at that it would be very comfortable for developers who are familiar with Unreal to move well into Unreal 5 from 4. And that's also exciting because you want to make things as friendly as possible for developers to create the best of the best for gamers. Again, my biggest takeaway from this was that, all right, we're not seeing Xbox being showcased in this. There might be a reason in this. There might not. It could be simply that they didn't, Microsoft didn't pay the money to showcase something in Unreal Engine 5. It could be something as prolific as, oh, Xbox is really keen to show off the Slipspace engine. Uh, it could simply be that they weren't keen to say, hey, Epic, we'll pay you to show something off and say Xbox Series X along the lines. It looked to me like PlayStation just said, hey, we want a marketing deal for this and showcasing this launch because I think it, it took quite a bit of pressing for Tim Sweeney and the Epic crew to even mention the word Xbox during interviews. So uh, I wouldn't read too much into any of that it sounds more like business deals and marketing as opposed to any architecture or structural problems uh, in any way shape or form so I, I have no qualms or misgivings there for to, to be very clear in fact Phil Spencer himself went on and tweeted about how uh, many Xbox Game Studios titles are utilizing Unreal Engine though he didn't specify four or five he talked about games like Hellblade 2 using Unreal and that begs the question okay if we saw what we saw in the Lumen demo and we heard all this speculation of what is gameplay after Microsoft's Inside Xbox. Was what we saw in Hellblade 2 gameplay at any point? Or was it just an in-engine rendered cutscene? What was going on there? And the reality is, as good as that, that demo or the, the uh, video we saw of Hellblade 2 was, that really quite possibly could have been gameplay we were seeing at certain points. And that's kind of exciting. Now, all this will be answered in time. Microsoft coming out saying that they're going to be showcasing Halo Infinite and a lot of their Xbox Game Studio titles in July, which means that for the month of June, we're going to be leaving it to third parties for our, our Xbox news or game news. If anybody chooses to reveal or announce anything for Xbox Series X, it will not be Microsoft first party in the month of June. I have all eyes on July because I want to know what's going on with Halo. Uh, I'm recently playing through a number of the Halo titles with friends, going through all the campaigns, seeing the evolution of, of Halo combat evolve through 2, 3, ODST, Reach, 4, 5. It is 
beyond exciting to me to see what it is this soft reboot of Halo Infinite might be because that is a title that they absolutely need to hit well. They need it to hit with the mainstream. They need lots of people to be playing it. They've already got a 10 million plus uh, subscriber base into Game Pass, which means you have 10 million potential players right off the bat, not to mention sales, but you also need this to sell an Xbox Series X. And how do you do that with smart delivery? July has a lot of eyes and a lot of pressure on Microsoft that will go well beyond whether or not something is gameplay or not. They're going to need to bring the pain and showcase the best of the best that their studios are offering, particularly also in the wake of the most recent PlayStation State of Play, where Ghost of Tsushima was showed off in its all of its final generation glory in all of the PS4's abilities this generation. Ghost of Tsushima should be showcasing, uh, or it looks to be showcasing, some gorgeous graphics and incredible gameplay and something that at this point in this generation PlayStation is known for and that is wonderful single-player experiences. Microsoft has to compete on that and show why anybody and everybody should be buying into the Xbox ecosystem going forward because as wonderful it is as it I as it is rather to play a number of those Xbox titles as much as I really enjoy Halo and Gears and Forza and State of Decay and Sea of Thieves I love those games but they don't have the magic that something like a Spider-Man or a God of War does. So, Microsoft's got a lot of pressure to start that narrative even further in July. We've talked hardware. We've seen some gameplay for smaller titles like The Ascent, like Chorus, like many of the titles we talked about last week. And as excited as I am for those, a lot of them seem to be, okay, could my current Xbox do this? And in some cases, the answer is yes, and in some, no. And I, again, I, I believe I said this last week. Go back to those YouTube videos for those showcased games in the Inside Xbox of last week or so and look at them in 4K on YouTube because then you see what it is that separates your Xbox One X or your Xbox S to the series titles that we're thinking are going to be coming. So, But nonetheless, the point remains, if Unreal Engine 5 set a standard for what Next Gen is to look like and did so as well as it did in this past week, a lot of pressure is now on Microsoft, who's had two or three chances to showcase what next-gen looks like. A lot of pressure is on them now to say, okay, we've seen the standard being set. It was delivered well. We need to do this same thing in July. And we can't do it with just Halo. Halo is the system seller. It needs to be. But what else you got? Are you doing this Fable thing? Are we doing a Forza? Is there? I mean, we expect a Forza. Is there a Forza? And that th there's there's something to that. In fact, Todd Oxter wrote in, uh, and you can too over on Twitter. Tweet me, tweet at me at insipidghost, or email me insipidghost at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. But Todd Oxter wrote in about Forza and Playground specifically, and he said, quote, I started thinking about the confidence in Playground games making the next Fable. They've only made Fable, uh, Forza Horizon, so what would indicate that they can transition into an action RPG with fantasy aesthetics and charismatic characters? I hope they can, end quote. Now, Todd, great question, and uh, certainly understandable, yeah, Playground has really only made racing games. They're really only looking with the Forza Horizon series, and as beautiful and incredible as they are, what is to suggest that they could, in any way, shape, or form, create an action RPG? I think that is a, a realistic question to be asked, and I think anybody is capable or wise to ask that question. However, we have notable examples of studios transitioning to other game types and other genres uh, quite a bit across the history of gaming, and so, you know, as, as game makers go, they've certainly got enough talent to do that, 
And as far as the charismatic uh, characters and the fantasy aesthetic, for the aesthetic, I point to the incredible environments that you're manipulating and moving around in while you're driving in the Forza Horizon series. They've taken us to, to multiple places in Europe and to Australia, and those landscapes, those uh, horizons, oh, that's terrible, that's a terrible pun, but when you look out in those landscapes, those skyboxes, they've done such a great job at creating environment and world that I have no doubt they can do the same thing for a fable aesthetic. Simply driving through Europe uh, and England, specifically Britain, in Forza Horizon 4 tells me that they can really nail the design of a fable, per se. Uh, as for the writing and charismatic characters, I would imagine, full-heartedly, they bring people in to help them with that, or they've I've certainly already done that. Now, the question remains, is it actually Playground that's doing fable? Is fable real? Because to those two questions, we don't actually know answers to it. I have no doubt that Playground has the talent. I have no doubt that they would uh, nail the, the environment, the look, and I do think they would hire the right people for the writing. But we've not actually seen evidence that Fable is real. We've not actually seen evidence that it's Playground working on it. It's just seemed to be echo chambered rumors bouncing off the walls that are building suspense and building excitement the more we hear nothing. And so I, again, July, that's the time to look at that. And I, I need to see what it is they bring to the table and and i'm looking forward to it for sure no doubt about it but uh we'll, we'll yeah we'll, we'll get there who knows uh, looking ahead into other news announcements that came out this past week tony hawk remastered one and two uh is announced and is going to be coming out for 40 dollars on september 4th for current gen consoles excluding the switch now that was interesting in and of itself but tony hawk remastered uh, one and two, there's no doubt that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater set a standard back on the PlayStation 1 for skating games and transcended media. People knew and understood Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater as the game to play back on PlayStation 1, and tons of people, non-skating fans, loved this game. There were a number of cameos made in it. The soundtrack was incredible. The controls were wonderful. It's one of those games from that era that ages well. And the PlayStation 1 era is not an era that ages well because it was the first uh, slew of games that were existing in 3D space. And a lot of times those don't age well. But when you've got a game that controls smoothly and is comfortable to play, uh, typically you can go back to it and return to it regardless of what it may look like. And Pro Skater nailed it. So to have news that we're getting updated remasters, of course we've had these remasters on PS3 and 360, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't land with the magic that, that I think the originals did. But there's a lot of excitement kicking around this one. It's got a lot of the same soundtrack, all the same spaces, uh, not just a, like a favorites or special hits list that the old remaster did. And it's coming out for 40 bucks on, on Xbox One X, high-end PCs, and PlayStation 4. That's cool. That's exciting. Uh, it looks like we're going to be able to crank it to 4K on Xbox One X, and that's exciting. We have a lot of questions of, what's 4K right now, and, and how good are the pixel counts, and what, what, what's the resolution? I don't care about any of that stuff. It needs to look good, it needs to run well, it needs to be fun. But it's nice to have some, some good news like this for Tony Hawk. There's a lot of nostalgic fun there. So, you know, cheers to that one. Cheers to another thing, of course, Game Pass. Game Pass is, is by all accounts, the best value to dollar in gaming, and they added a heavy hitter this past week on the PC side in that Halo 2 Anniversary has arrived for the Master Chief Collection into PC. Now, if you're wondering, wait a minute, I thought Halo 2 Anniversary was already available in the Master Chief Collection. 
you're 100% right on console. The console version of the MCC is glorious now in its current iteration. And again, I think I alluded to the fact that I've been playing quite a bit of it. Uh, the can the, we, Mr. Babbitt and I were going through uh, Halo 2 Anniversary and bouncing between classic and updated visuals. And man, it, it has come a long way and they've done a wonderful job. The motion cinematics as well, uh, which I tweeted a few of them on Twitter, showcasing the blur cinematics, just stunning stuff to be clear. But for the PC side of the Master Chief Collection, they've been rolling it out slowly and in chunks. They started with Reach, and then they've kind of been moving their way through the more relevant pieces of the Master Chief Collection, due largely to the fact that they're reconstructing a lot of that game, because the original MCC was hacked together. It was, it was put together in bits and pieces, because none of it was designed to work and be manipulated through a central hub like the Master Chief Collection. So it's, uh, it's nice to see this continuing to arrive into PC, bringing people into the world of Halo that might not have been, a lot of excitement surrounding it. Great, good stuff. Uh, I, I love to see that, particularly in a year where we're getting a new Halo. Alan Wake, though, is also going to be arriving into to Game Pass on May 21st. Now, let me, t let me just point out, Alan Wake was one of the most important titles of the Xbox 360, not in commercial sales, but rather in cult hit status. A number of people, including myself, dove into the world of Alan Wake with wonder and curiosity and a bit of morbid morbidity as we explored this horrific world of, of strange oddities. And it's only now, 10 years later, after nine years later, I suppose, when people played Control that they realized that Alan Wake and Control exist in the same universe. And I apologize that this is a minor spoiler. However, the titles of the upcoming DLC expansions for uh, Control include Alan Wake in the title. So, you know, take that for what you will. But Alan Wake hitting its 10-year anniversary and kicking off Sam Lake's uh, cinematic universe, for lack of a better term, is exciting. The idea that it's coming to Game Pass and more people will be able to check it out uh, is wonderful. And I would encourage all of you, all of you, if you've never played Alan Wake, Get yourself ready for a slightly third-person action game, but really a storytelling game of Alan Wake where you examine a strange and odd world and figure out the first exploration into the world of control by way of brilliant writing and acting. Go play Alan Wake. Turn off the lights. Turn up the sound. They will, they will uh, terrify you with the silence. They will terrify you with the oddities. It's a really cool story of a writer who's mind is corrupting his world around him and it, it's definitely something to be explored but yeah congrats on 10 years for that the fact that it's coming to game pass on pc and console may 21st go play that game it is beautiful it is wonderful and i i am ecstatic to see what's going on there Well, we already heard from Todd Oxter writing in, and I do appreciate you, Todd. We also have a few more questions from a couple wonderful people in the gaming community before we get to our Sissy Jones interview. Uh, this next question comes from Hypecaster, and he writes in, quote, XCP has come so far, you've put a lot into it, and it shows. Uh, loving the interviews, thank you. What advice do you have for other podcasters, content creators? Uh, is it important to keep setting goals and aspiring? Is it important to shoot for the stars? End quote. Oh, man, Antonio, that's a, a wonderful compliment, and I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're enjoying the interviews. I try to make them relevant and pertinent to the Gamerverse, and that's kind of the goal. It's, it's about, uh, for me, when it comes to the interview side of things, I want people that can expand my knowledge of the Gamingverse. That includes talking to voice actors like Sissy Jones, uh, talking to people like Mike Bithell, who design games, Ben Rivers, who designs games, uh, and hearing what their experiences are in 
creation of video games, but also people like Andrea Renee or Steven Spawn or, or uh, Zach Weigel of Gamers Outreach, hearing about people that work with the Gamerverse on a coverage side or an advocate for equality and accessibility side. Those are important things for me to showcase for gamers in general. I like to explore stories. That's true of both video games and the real world. I want to learn and know and understand stories. And so to talk to these people and find out what it is they are doing to uh, allow us to enjoy the medium that we do, that's my joy. That's what I get out of those interviews. It's always about uh, chasing a story from people and learning about the Gamerverse from them. So I'm glad you enjoy the interviews. Uh, as for my advice for podcasters and content creators, uh, when it comes to goal setting, understand from the very get-go what it is you want to accomplish in the short and long term. For XEP, I do not have a long-term goal of this being a career. So it gets to stand as a, as, a, as a hobby that I enjoy and I hope continues to grow. It is growing at a comfortable rate, and it's growing organically. And I, I would say to every listener that's here with me on the show right now, thank you for being here. I would imagine you're here for the right reasons because there's no uh, major giveaways associated with listening to the show right now. There's no uh, major incentive other than to enjoy the Gamerverse and be analytical. You don't hear a lot of, uh, I hope I hope you don't hear a lot of fanboyism talk or discussions of why this is better than this system or that system. That's not why we're here. And so I want, I would advise anybody that's trying to grow a product to grow organically with the audience that you're seeking. And I'm seeking thoughtful, enjoyable people that are uh, willing to have conversations about games and expand their knowledges and challenge my views on games as well. So grow organically, grow smart, uh, growing faster can be a dangerous thing. And so grow at a pace that you're comfortable with. Uh, as far as long-term goals, short-term goals in included, I think it's important to remind myself that every day if I pull up the, the numbers for XCP or the analytics to examine the fact that I do this for fun and it needs to keep being that. And if I allow myself to obsess over oh, I only grew by 10% this week or 20% or 100% or, or, or any random number, then I leave myself to disappointment and the hobby becomes less fun. So I would advise any content creator that is going out there for a hobby to allow it to be just that and not make it work, particularly in a work-from-home state. I'm doing this podcast from the same laptop uh, laptop setup that I'm working on my, my teaching and my real job, and that can be a little bit tough too. So... Just understand perspective of who you're reaching, who you want to reach, and allow yourself to grow at a pace you're, you're relevant to. And you ask the question, is it important to shoot for the stars? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but understand that, that when you do that, you might set yourself up for the appropriate level of excitement and disappointment. Um, I go back to the interview discussions. If I only asked uh, the biggest and best only known people in the game reverse, I learn a lot less. And so in getting to talk to wonderful people like um, Andrew Renee, I also want to talk to, to smaller developers or smaller content creators because they all have insight. So yeah, short, shoot for the stars and enjoy the journey would be my advice there. But thank you for the compliment, and I appreciate it. Back to gaming questions. Uh, Famous Seamus asks, uh, or rather he says, with Sony having a mind-blowing presentation, presentation for Ghost of Tsushima and Nintendo's surprise announcement of Paper Mario and the Origami King, do you think Microsoft may start teasing its new games for the Series X sooner than expected? Oh man, great question, uh, Famous Seamus. It was funny, I will say, for us to get the Unreal Engine 5 demo and then see brilliant and gorgeous gameplay for Ghost of Tsushima and then see Nintendo be like, 
Well, we're not doing anything this this uh, summer, but uh, here's Paper Mario and the Origami King. We also have triangles. That was a chuckle and a, a fun thing for me to see. But as far as uh, pushing Microsoft to tease new games for the Series X sooner than expected, no, I don't think so. I think everybody's game plan was changed with COVID-19. I think Sony was set to reveal a lot of the things that we haven't seen uh, from them. I think they were set to reveal that far sooner because they talked about having hundreds of events uh, leading up to the PlayStation 5's launch, and a lot of them would have begun and surrounded GDC. I think that Cerny presentation that kind of put us all to sleep a little bit would have been well-placed had we seen and been able to put hands on the controller and seen a few more games. Uh, so I think on Sony's side, it, it changed their game plan which changed their release dates. Of course, we know Last of Us and Ghost were pushed and moved around just a bit. And as far as Microsoft, uh, I have no doubt that we were expecting to see some things at different times. The work from home changed some of the things that could have been showcased. Phil Spencer's been on record as talking about how people that had uh, symphonic audios that needed to be recording, they don't have that now. They can't get to that. They can't get into a studio that, that comfortably. If they needed mocap, they can't get to that either. So games that were in, in a certain point in development are able to continue at a fairly even pace to where it would have been. Others delayed massively, and that changes what it is we see in those presentations. Hellblade 2 was not part of the initial Game Awards conference meeting uh, when they were going to showcase and discuss uh, Xbox content. And it took a change in plans to put the Series X into that Game Awards presentation and to showcase Hellblade 2. Things are constantly changing, and that's a good thing. Uh, but I think right now the playbook's fairly well set as a result of the work-from-home status. And they are, no doubt about it, they are acutely aware of the fact that they need to showcase reasons why that people should buy into an Xbox Series X. Even Aaron Greenberg, after the last Inside Xbox, said that they set unreal expectations uh, by default, by accident, what have you, in, in talking about gameplay, and they might have missed the mark there. And as cool as The Ascent and The Medium and Chorus uh, and Scorn, all those games were, they set the wrong standard, and they did not sell people an Xbox Series X. So I think now they're looking at everything they have available to them and saying, all right, if we're launching this console in, say, November, all right, that's a, a safe bet based on their history. We're launching, launching in November. We need to have a steady stream of good news stuff about Xbox Series X alongside Game Pass announcements or anything else for the Xbox brand. Then maybe it's, it's xCloud or whatnot. They need to continue at a comfortable pace. But as far as adjusting, uh, I think a lot of it's set simply by work-from-home rulings at this point. But, I mean, who knows? I could be way off the mark, and we'll see there. Famous Seamus also writes in with a second question and our last for this week before we get to our interview. He says, also, Alan Wake was announced for Game Pass earlier this week. Do you think this should lead to Control coming to Game Pass or even an Alan Wake sequel announcement? That is a wonderful question, Famous Seamus, because I think there is some validity in it. However, uh, the reasoning might be just a bit off. Control is set for, for two major DLC drops this year uh, leading into next year that are story expansions. We've already seen the Foundation DLC, which I believe launched for free. I think in uh, early June we're seeing an Xbox drop because PlayStation had a marketing deal with Control, which disappointed me just a bit, to be very clear. Um, but because they've got DLC coming out, they want people to buy in on that DLC. The reality is, if I'm, if I'm Remedy and I'm looking at how many... 
uh, co copies of Control have sold. I'm 504 Games, their publisher, 505 rather, their publisher. I'm saying, okay, we've sold about as many Control copies as we're going to sell, even with the sales and whatnot. The install base of, of Control is probably set. So take the money deal for going into Game Pass, which I expect them to do at some point, and then maybe they sell a few more DLC people, uh, a few more DLC subscriptions. That's not the right term, but they have two DLC bundles, what have you. They, they get people in on the DLC by that way because at this point, they've, they've sold the majority of the people that are going to play Control. They need to bring more people in, and Game Pass is a wonderful way to do it. So I do think you see Control come into Game Pass. I think that's a summer addition to Game Pass. I think it's a great addition to Game Pass for everybody to see. Uh, and then it's it's a matter of selling people on the DLC. So look for the timing of that to, to line up. That would be my prediction there. As far as a sequel to Alan Wake specifically, I don't feel confident answering that just yet because I love Alan Wake and I want a sequel to Alan Wake because American Nightmare wasn't it. It just didn't have the same spirit. Uh, but they seem to be using Control now as their platform to their, I keep saying cinematic universe, to the universe they're trying to build, Sam Lake's uh, incredible world, it looks like they're going to use Control to build that. Do I want to be restricted now into an Alan Wake formula? and give up a lot of the Jedi-like powers that Control brings me with Jesse? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you on that one. I would imagine they certainly realize they're onto something. The reception for Control, I think, surprised them. The fact that they partnered with 505 as a publishing partner, uh, which is typically doing... Uh, they typically do smaller games. They typically are, are uh, covering games that are, are not nearly as big as Control ended up being. I think they're a bit surprised by its reception, excited by its reception, and now they're like, all right, We've got more to work with now than we might have otherwise. And so uh, look for the game to hit Game Pass. Don't look for a sequel for Alan Wake. Look for expansions and story uh, to that world. It may not be Alan Wake 2, but it'll certainly involve Alan Wake on some level because he's a part of that uh, world manipulation. I'm trying to, to dance around some of the, the spoilers for that game there. Anyways, guys, I appreciate you listening this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to transition before, uh, in just a moment to an interview with Sissy Jones, who voiced Fury in Darksiders, Katya in The Walking Dead. She was Delilah in Firewatch, and she has a new game coming out later this year, launching onto Xbox Series X called Call of the Sea, which I am greatly excited about. You'll find that I talked to Sissy, who is a wonderful talent, about a lot of what it means to be a voice actor, vocalizing, disappointments, things that you need to work around, auditioning. Uh, it was insightful and enlightening. And if you are at all willing to go out on Twitter, tweet at her, at Sissy Speaks, and uh, let her know that you heard the interview, that you enjoyed the interview, those things help me a lot and make me feel great. Also, if you're willing to throw an iTunes review on there, I'm at 22 reviews right now. I'd like to get to 25 um, you know, by midsummer, that would be lovely if anyone's willing or able to do that. I'd love to read a few of them on air. That's going to be it for me, guys. You can always find me on Twitter at insipidghost or email me insipidghost at gmail.com. I now send you to Sissy Jones, the incredible voice of, of so many people in the Gamerverse. Take care. All right, we are very fortunate now to be joined by renowned voice actor Sissy Jones, whose talents have been featured throughout the Gamerverse, including games like The Walking Dead, Firewatch, Darksiders 3, and more. Sissy, thank you for joining us today. How are you? What's up, man? I'm good. How are you? I am uh, ecstatic to have you on today to dive into your career and examine the role of a voice actor. Uh, can you tell me, how is it that you got started into voice acting? Uh, well, um very non-traditionally uh most people have a degree in in acting or like 
did a lot of on-camera stuff. I didn't. Um, <laughs> I started in the Silicon Valley. I have a degree in business and a degree in Spanish and um, was working, you know, 100-hour weeks in the Silicon Valley and super hated my life and um, told my now husband that my dream job would be to work on The Simpsons. And then two weeks later, I heard Nancy Cartwright, who's Bart Simpson, on the radio talking about voiceover and how it was this amazing job. And uh, I took that as a big sign. So... I left my golden handcuffs and started becoming an actor. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. You've been in the gaming industry since, according to, to my research, since 2010. Is that accurate? Y yes. Yeah, so uh, The Walking Dead, Katya, was my first audition mm -hmm. and my first booking. So Interesting. Yeah. That was wow. my first foray. So not having, uh, an, I suppose, an education, like degrees and studying acting and whatnot, did that make entering into the game reverse a bit difficult or, or intimidating? You know, I think I was so ignorant that I just, I, I had such big eyes walking into it and I and I was so hungry for it. Um, and, you know, I'd been getting really good feedback from all of the coaches and, and casting directors and everything else. So um, I think if I had been trying to get into it in Los Angeles, I would have freaked out and probably run away and cried and never shown my face again. But um, I was in the in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area, which is a, a smaller market. Um, and it was I was just so excited to have a change of pace that I didn't really think about what I was lacking, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Because, um, you know, listen, like I had great success in San Francisco right out of the gate. And then I was like, I'm going to go conquer Los Angeles. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I didn't book a thing for a year. Oh, and no. yeah, I mean, it's, it's a completely different market. Right. And, um, uh, so it took me a little while to get used to that. And, and then, you know, uh, through lots of coaching and, and <laughs> soul searching and confidence building and all of that, um, I, I've been able to, to make a career for myself, but well, that's well, a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, not at all. I appreciate it. Now, I'm, but I'm investigating this idea of you, you go through a full career change, you move your life, you get Katya, but how did you know that you had such talent and capability in that arena if you, if you didn't start off being trained there? This is going to sound crazy, um, but I have found in my life that if something is not right, I keep running into these brick walls. And if something is right... It just kind of comes together like a zipper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I found that in relationships, friendships, um, and career. And, you know, I, I kept hitting wall after wall after wall in the corporate world. And I was desperately unhappy. I met some really wonderful people and I learned some incredible things. But I, I just felt like a square peg in a round hole. And when I found voiceover, it just, it just, there was just a flow to it that I'd never experienced in a career before. Mm-hmm. And now, so, yeah, that was it. That's wow. So I'm I'm thinking about kind of all the ramifications of that. And in voiceover, that that offers a bit of a tr a traditional sense of acting, but also some difficulty in that. In many cases, they're not capturing your facial expressions or your body language. How do you adapt to to adding emotion and and power into different voices when you're not necessarily being animated? I love it. It was my favorite part of the job because it doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter um, if I'm wearing makeup or if my hair looks like crap or if I put on some Christmas weight. You know what I mean? It just it matters how I make you feel. Mm -hmm. 
And to me, that's the greatest joy of all. Like that, 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 that gets my heart pumping. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I've done some motion capture and I really enjoy it. And I've done some facial capture and I really enjoy it. But to do a game like Firewatch where I have to make people feel all the feelings without the luxury of facial expressions and body language, that is such a joyous challenge to me. And I, I eat, sleep, breathe it. I love it. Well, I, you, know, it's, you mentioned Firewatch, and so we'll go straight there. I played Firewatch in a very emotional time in my life, and I think back to how I felt about uh, Delilah and what was going on with her, and I was angry with her at certain points. I was confused. <laughs> I think I was in love with that character at one point. You put the, the player through a range of emotions there. Uh, how much of that is Sissy Jones responding to the, the words on the paper, uh, you talking with the directors, the developers? Uh, what's the give and take in creating the character and the effect they have on the audience, when, you, when you're a main character, I should say? That's a really great question, and honestly, it varies so much with every production. Um, Firewatch was really, really special. I knew Sean Vanneman and Jake Rodkin from The Walking Dead, and um, because Sean and I had an easy rapport, he was he was able to write in my voice a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, when they when they hired Rich, I didn't know who he was. I'd never watched Mad Men. You know, I'd, I'd probably I think I'd seen him in Devil Wears Prada and things like that, but I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. Um, And so Sean decided that because the entirety of this game hinged upon believable dialogue, we were going to record it as a dialogue where most games are kind of recorded in a vacuum. You know, I get my lines and I have to make up what the other person sounds like and Mm -hmm. hope that it fits real good together. But um, with Firewatch, you know, I was in my home studio where I'm at right now and Rich was in his home studio and Sean Skyped us into a call together like you and I are doing and we were able to record it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I had the words in black and white on the paper, but Sean was like, listen, uh, I know you, I know you're kind of a, a dork. So play, just play. And mm-hmm. he, he gave me carte blanche. You know, we would do a couple of takes of each line, but he gave me carte blanche to do one line as written one take, you know, a little bit different. And then one take just, just sissied. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, the one that stands out in particular to me is, is, uh, Henry's complaining at one point about like, oh, great. So I have to spend the entire summer here with you. And the words on the page were, you're going to love it. Mm -hmm. And I did my first take. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And then you're going to love it. And that's the one that made it into the game. Right. Because it's just this, this playful give and take with her. And, um, and I think that's what makes her so much fun mm-hmm. and I, I i you hear that voice you hear that playful tone and it borders on flirtatious and it it, it really brings out an emotion in the player that's either going to be angst or or love or somewhere comfortably in those two realms and to me that's got to be the exciting part of of being a voice actor and putting yourself into those roles are there are there aspects of it that you actively didn't like like when you're creating a character and you're like oh I don't like saying this or this doesn't feel like me how do you overcome those moments uh, again it varies production to production you know I uh, <laughs> I did one <laughs> that shall remain nameless uh, I walked into the session seven months pregnant and it was an orgy scene so that was interesting um, I also really have a hard time um, 
with like racial epithets and things like that. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really not comfortable throwing things like that around for quote unquote entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't, I don't audition characters that aren't white um, mm-hmm. because I don't feel like it's my place to portray another race's point of view. And there are so many incredibly talented actors and actresses out there that I just feel like I don't need to be reading those, you know. And the 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 bugger is that sometimes I will audition a role and when I get in there, they're like, by the way, she's black or by the way, she's Asian. And I'm like, God damn it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, and you've done so many voices, creatures, ages, genders. You, you've been demigods at certain points. <laughs> when you run into those moments, I mean, do you power through? Do you push back on it? It depends, it depends on how well I know the producer. It depends on what it's adding to the story. I mean, if, if they want me to say something just because they think it's funny, I will tell them, you know, listen, I'm really not comfortable with this. Um, but if it's, you know, adding to the villainization of the character or whatever, like, I, it just depends. It's a really touchy subject. Sure. Um, because I feel like there's so much <laughs> sensitivity <laughs> with a lot of things. And, you know, it's it's our job to pay attention and, and not not alienate large swaths of people. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I would imagine playing a hero versus playing a villain uh, and the many shades of gray in between, that can, that can adjust the tone. Now, you, you mentioned it depends on the story. Uh, how much do of the story do you know? Now, I'm looking at your IMDb. Just to be very clear, I'm looking at, you know, at, at the, goodness, the, the plethora of titles that you've worked on. And in some of those roles, you're playing uh, the protagonist. In other uh, situations, you're playing a supporting character. In other, it's additional voices, which I have questions about in a moment. So how much of a story do you know in kind of each of those situations? None. None, none. I'm lucky to get the name of the game before I walk into a recording session, let alone my lines, let alone an actual story. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this notorious uh, secrecy that you know permeates the entire gaming industry because everyone's afraid that their competition is going to catch wind of whatever, whatever, whatever. And so, like we are, we are are signed away within an inch of our lives to NDAs. Now, it's not saying that people don't break them, and I want to break them. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, for the most part, we know nothing. We are at the mercy of a director, which I understand, you know, people want to put together like the worst voiceover in video games, you know, cause it's funny sometimes to see something so bad. But what I would say to that is be gentle because you never know what they weren't given or mm-hmm. if they were given direction at all. And I would say, you know, um, it's not as easy as it looks. And especially when we don't have any information, <laughs> you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes you just have to wing it and hope that it sounds good. But so I'm, yeah. I'm thinking and postulating the idea that, okay, you're in a sound studio in your home in many of these situations. Sometimes you're Skyped in with uh, a scene partner, sometimes not. Mostly. Is that mostly not? Okay. So is that a contributing factor to uh, some of the difficulty you have to get put through? Absolutely. I mean, if you think of, um, let's take the word no. Mm-hmm. How many ways can you say the word no? No. 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 <laughs> right? And right. it all depends on what the person before you has said. What am I responding to? How did they say the thing that I'm responding to? 
Mm-hmm. And if I don't know that, I'm winging it, right? Mm-hmm. And so when they go to edit that together for the final thing, it might not sound right, but it's what we got. Interesting. So when you have to read a word like no on the page, no scene partner, are you are you giving them five different versions, six different versions, or are you going with, you know, one to two? Do you, what do you do there? Depends. Depends on the director. Depends on the people. Depends on how much I'm given. Um, you know, I, uh, I usually like to do three in a row. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll do three completely different takes. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully one of those will fit into the round hole. Oh, wow. Okay. So let's look at one that, uh, one of one of a performance that I, I felt like with, you were with me the entire time, and that was Fury in Darksiders 3. The entire time we go through, we hear this venomous, powerful voice that in some in most of the game is very strong and sometimes is very vulnerable uh, and and really runs a gambit of emotions. When you get that script, when you sign those NDAs and you are Fury, do you then get to see the whole script? Do you then no. get to have more input? No way. No. No way? Okay, so, now this blows my mind because I feel like... I will tell some... you with Fury, with Fury, it was a very different process. Um, with Fury, I auditioned for the reveal trailer and mm-hmm. it was four words. Hello, brother, and with pleasure. That was Talking... the entire audition. Okay. Talking to war, I would imagine. Talking to war, chained up in front of the Chard Council. Now, okay. I had no idea what Darksiders was, so I researched. I went and I watched uh, playthrough videos, and I read the Wikipedias, and I, I, for four words, right, I went and did this audition. All this research for this audition. Uh, now, I booked the audition. I booked the trailer, um, which was great. And I was very psyched about it. And then I found out that they hadn't cast Fury in the actual game yet. And I was like, okay, okay, uh, hi. (laughs) And so I mounted a campaign to book that character. And they put me through my paces, man. Like I, they wanted me to go work with a dialect coach. They wanted me to do, I think I did six or seven rounds of auditions. um, Because they, they wanted her to have that ability to be um, just rageful and vulnerable and the moment, uh, that the big thing happens that I don't know if I can give spoiler alerts here, but the big thing that just makes her go on a revenge quest, Mm -hmm. um, they needed that to be palpable. They needed that to, to just tear the player apart. Um, and so we did so many rounds of auditions. And then when I finally booked it, it was great. I was um, really lucky to work with a director who knew the property inside, outside, and backwards. Um, You know, I knew Liam O'Brien, so we were able to chat a little bit about it. Um, You know, so it was, I I kind of had people that were willing to hold my hand. And Gunfire Games is made of some of the most amazing human beings on this planet. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, Kenneth Bossom, who was my, uh, my direct contact at Gunfire, was so gracious and showing me anything that he had that he could show me and telling me the story that was going to happen and telling me what was coming next. You know, he really, um, he was really my guardian angel through that whole process. And I, I can't say enough good things about him and that whole company. Wow. That's, that's quite a story. It, it, it surprises me, I suppose, when I think about voice actors and, and your experience specifically at 
having to know what a character goes through, but not seeing the end result at certain points or a script and, and, and formulating that. So that is, I think, a testament to the, the work that you do as you go through those different voices. Now, uh, I, I want to go specifically into uh, a different role, Nora Freeze in Arkham Knight. You're playing a character in, in distress and in sadness, and that's a totally different approach to something like Fury. How do you go about preparing for each of these roles uh, throughout? I mean, are you researching other sad characters, other angry characters? What's the research involved in creating your voice for a character? Honestly, for me, it's about finding moments in my life where I felt those things. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, I've, I've lived through tragedy. I've lived through um, moments of abject despair. Uh, you know, I've lived through fury. I've lived through happiness um you know falling in love i've lived through those things so it's it's finding those moments and what i'm willing to bring with me into the booth there's some that are too personal and i won't ever bring but mm -hmm. there are some that um that are really helpful in finding um, moments of vulnerability when when it calls for it mm -hmm. you know and uh for whatever reason that's that's something that I've been able to tap into. Certainly has to be an emotional journey for you, for, for every role, no doubt. I would imagine you have, to have a, some fortitude in that. I will say, recording Katya. Um... <laughs> well, The Walking Dead is already waited, so tell me about Katya. <laughs> wow. I mean, Katya was, um, she was, when I auditioned her, I, I had someone who was very near and dear to my heart in, in my head. And someone who lived through a very similar story. She was married to a hothead. Um, she lost her son when he was about 13. And, uh, you know, it was, she's someone that I, that I, she's one of my favorite humans on this planet. And so I took her with me, you know, to audition in the booth and, and throughout the process of Katya and God, I had nightmares <laughs> just, you know, when they, when they see the, when we filmed the final scene with doc and, and, uh, Kenny and I had nightmares for weeks about, about all of that. And, you know, the zombie hordes coming to get me and, Oh God, it was just, it was very emotionally taxing for sure. Is that a, a typical thing that you deal with, uh, battling the weight of some of the roles and the situations that these characters go through? Some of them, yeah. I mean, some of them are, you know, listen, Fury is set in a world that we don't, we can't really see as real, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But The Walking Dead is set in an alternate timeline, right? So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's got a basis in reality. And, uh, and especially with what we're living through now, like it's. Yeah, it's it feels like a sequel to COVID. Yeah. Possibility. <laughs> You know, this Absolutely. is how every zombie movie starts. Let's rush the vaccine through. Great. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, that. Just ignore the scientists. <laughs> we don't have a, what do they know? Come on. Right. You got to go to TJ Maxx. Whatever. Uh, I want oh, my haircut. Oh, come on, Karen. Calm down. <laughs> no, no. Poor Karen. Any good person named Karen's having a rough, rough few months. Let's say that. Right. Uh, now, tell you have worked on so many games, uh, big and small, and I say I say that uh, to accompany small indie games, Firewatch, Team of Eight, to having additional voices in games like Halo Five and Infamous and Grand Theft Auto. First, what are additional voices? Can you fill in the blanks on that? Because I I don't know what that. I mean, I get it. I know what the words yeah. mean. Additional voices is like gen pop. 
so, you know, if you're Spider-Man swinging through the streets of New York and then you you swing past a group of girls and they're like, oh, my God, there's Spider-Man. Look at it. He's swinging by. He's so dreamy. That's additional voices. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or uh, I believe in GTA 5, I play the <clears throat> illustrious part of a prostitute that you can light on fire and steal my car as you throw me out a window. So. Additional voices, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, does that mean you're you're in there like destroying your your throat as you, you know, t- do all sorts of screams? Like what's? Ooh. Yeah, I believe that was a thirty minute session, and I screamed at the top of my lungs basically the entire time. It was, it was a thing. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna parlay that into a different question. Do you ever? Like, I, I would. I'm sure that you put your voice through too much at certain times, and you have to rest. What What do you go through in order to heal and uh, recuperate? Yeah, after- it's it's awful. Um, it's awful. I I I'm actually trying to work right now with a um vocal specialist to come up with a warm up for every session to disseminate for free to the entire voiceover community to the games industry at large to have everybody do a vocal warm up for 5 minutes at the top of every session because it is no joke man um i did one game so let me let me first say that that you know to make a living as a voice actor um commercials really are bread and butter like games are fun and i love games with all my heart but they don't they don't keep the lights on mm-hmm. um commercials do animation can if you can book it and you know other long form narration and things like that my voice in particular sits really well for narration um so uh, so i work a lot in that um i booked a game uh without an audition because i've gotten to a point where if i see like grenade exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point i don't audition it i just i know what that session's going to be and i i don't need that i don't need that mm-hmm. um so i booked this job without an audition they called me in it was a 9 a.m session i get in there and uh it, it was a player character and they didn't want to localize meaning they didn't want to have to go translate it into french italian german spanish chinese japanese da 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 so the character just grunts and screams and spits and barfs and just makes these weird creature sounds. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something that is my specialty. I, I do it, but there are other people that do it a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get in there for my four-hour session at 9 o'clock in the morning. And, I mean, two hours in, my throat was bleeding. It was bleeding. Mm-hmm. And... I'm like, you know, hey guys, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take a tea break for a minute. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, five minutes, we'll be back, right? I'm like, great, that sounds awesome. Um, hmm. So I come back and I'm trying to like take it down a notch and and be gentler with my voice. And it's like, I keep getting this, yeah, um, can you be growlier? Can you do it louder? Can you be angrier? Can you make it sexier? Can, you know, just on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And I had a commercial session that afternoon, um, it, which at the time, I, it was my weekly gig. I, I did a local grocery store for eight years. And um, I had to cancel my commercial session because I couldn't speak. Mm. Now, normally, sessions like that will happen on a Friday, hopefully in the afternoon. So you've got the weekend to recover. This was a Wednesday morning. And I was out. I was out. I couldn't audition. I couldn't do sessions. And And, you know, listen, like... Jobs are great, but but 
But once you get to the job, you're getting the paycheck anyway. The majority of my work is unpaid auditioning, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't audition for three days, that could knock me out for an entire week, two weeks down the line. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I, there I was like, I just had to sit back and drink throat coat tea and lots of honey and pray to God I hadn't wrecked it permanently because I know people who have, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's terrifying. It's horrifying because my entire ability to support my family comes from this little two inch by two inch square in the middle of my throat. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there are some producers who don't care if you mess your voice up, they just want the sound they want. And so I'm, I'm kind of on a crusade to make sure that actors really take care of themselves. And if you have to walk away from the session, walk away from the session. Now you've been in the game, the gaming industry, uh, since 2012, I believe was when walking dead came out mm-hmm. and we're at 2020 in that time, there's been some voice actor, uh, strikes and discussions and negotiations. Has it gotten better in terms Parts of people of respecting your voice? Parts of it. Yeah. I mean, listen, it ain't digging ditches, right? Mm-hmm. I am really lucky to do what I do. Um, and I, yes, I have gripes about certain things here and there, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't have much to complain about. There are things that have changed. There are things that have gotten better. There are things that could still go a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're working on it. I feel like, um, I don't know. There seems to be a synergy happening that, that is really something beautiful right now. So I'm, I'm, crossing my fingers hey any good news in the gaming industry i will take right now because <laughs> we, we need it and a lot of people are turning to gaming so, uh, to find happiness and to hear stuff like that is all the more uplifting now before we dive into the many many people wrote in with questions i did want to c- clarify go back to real quick is there a difference working for an indie game a double a or a triple a game uh yeah i mean typically indies and triple I's have more room for input. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you get to a triple A, it's been through so many layers and so many approvals and so many legals. And it's just like, listen, lady, here's the line. Just say it and collect your check. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them have a little more wiggle room, but uh, you know, there's so much money riding on a triple A game that they, a lot of times that there's less option for um, playing around. But mm-hmm. I found with with indies and triple I's in particular, uh, those two really want feedback. I'm working on one right now that was just announced last week at the Xbox Inside um, called Call of the Sea. Yes. And I can't wait for this game. Um, but they're so amazing and they're super open to my feedback. And, you know, they have me on the Slack channel and we're talking about ideas and, um, you know, suggestions for for what I think the character could go through and do and you know this that and the other and uh you know save firewatch I've never had really that level of interconnectivity between me and the devs it's it's really cool it's really Is, nice to be a part of all right okay so with call of the sea I wonder that brings up the idea in question of do you see concept art complete renders uh, or do you go in blank for for your roles? Like Fury, I would imagine you saw concept. I would think once it's time, you you create her voice. But you know, do you do you get to see Katya? Do you get to see 
uh, this, these characters ahead of time, or do you have to find their voice in, in a nebula? All. All of All. it. Um, oh, easy, Katya, easy, easy. Yeah, yeah no problem. <laughs> um, Katya had a, a very simple rendering of her character, as did, um, you know, Brie and Jolene and, and all of the Walking Dead characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Fury, I don't think I saw an image of her until the trailer actually came out. Mm-hmm. Um, Firewatch, obviously no image. And also, like, her name was Alice when we first started recording. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, huh. I, her name was, like, Alice Eastman or something like that. Um, so, you know, there's there's a little bit of... of character stuff that you get to see and and sometimes there's not like there's a there's a, a animated show that i worked on on amazon it's a really sweet show called um little big awesome mm-hmm. and uh i played an anthropomorphic nail file oh oh yeah <laughs> i don't even have a problem imagining what that is right now easy right yeah and you know i didn't have any character art but they were like she's just over everything she's over it she's over everything she is the clerk at the inconvenience store and she's bored out of her mind. And so <laughs> she just was like, <laughs> they were like, how long can you hold that? And I'm like, how long do you need it? <laughs> oh, that's um, great. But Call of the Sea, I mean, they have everything. They have all of the the artwork and the you know, they sent me their their pitch deck so that I could see, you know, what their inspirations were and where it was going and what the general story was going to be. And, and um, you know, they have the the character all ready to go. And um, it's just gorgeous. I, I cannot wait for this game to get into people's hands. The, now, Hypecaster wrote in and asked if you play the games that you are featured in. Rarely. Um, I'm a terrible gamer. Like... I'm a terrible gamer. <laughs> I've started to play a lot of mobile games lately. So, you know, Monument Valley and Thomas Was Alone and Gorogoa and stuff like that. Um, Greece was gorgeous if you haven't played that yet. Um, but it's kind of coupled with the fact that um, the mechanics of like a PS4 paddle. I don't even know if you call it a paddle anymore. The controller. It's a controller. It's a controller. Um, So the mechanics of that coupled with the fact that I have kids and not much time. (laughs) um, I just don't. I just don't. I'll watch playthroughs, but uh, it's I I just don't have the time at the moment. Maybe when school starts back up again. (laughs) Aren't you the teacher right now? (laughs) I sure am. Oh, uh, that's that. Now that's a statement near and dear to my heart. But let me tell you. Uh, now, are your kids old enough to play the games that you're in? I'm curious. No, no. no not yet. Okay. Will you encourage that when when the time comes, or is it going to be like, ah, maybe not, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, okay. I mean, if it's something they're interested in, that's great. Um, you know, my brother was like, should I play Firewatch? And I was like, oh, no, no, don't, no, don't do that. <laughs> mm. gotcha. You know. Um, but that's just because it's my brother and it would be super weird if, you know, he goes down that path with Delilah. Um, sure, sure. But yeah, I don't know. It just depends on my kids. Depends on that's who they fair. are. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. We had a lot of people write in uh, questions for you. Let's go with this one from uh, Danili13. She she was a big fan of your work as Fury and Darksiders. Uh, and she would like to know, uh, what do you see most of, uh, I mean, so what does she, what do you like most about Fury in that universe of Darksiders? What do you, what do you like about Fury? What do I like about Fury? 
What I like about Fury is that she starts as a completely unapologetic, badass bruiser mm-hmm. who could give a shit, pardon my French, what anybody thinks about her. She thinks she is, uh, you know, the be-all, end-all. She's arrogant. She's, uh, you know, she just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And then she she feels like she doesn't need anybody because she's too good for everybody. And then through the course of the game, you start to see cracks in her armor. And by the end of the game, I feel like um, she becomes this really interesting, vulnerable, still strong, but uh, has a bit more heart along with all of that confidence. That's cool. That's cool. And I would go ahead. Which I really love. That's all. I, I would agree with that assessment of her character and uh, well portrayed, I might add. Brandon Nettles writes in, he wants to know, what are your favorite vo- video game voiceover roles? God, that's like Sophie's Choice. Yeah, um, isn't it? <laughs> Pick your favorite. Let's go. Tell the other ones they're not good enough. <laughs> Easy. I mean, it's... Uh, I will always be grateful to The Walking Dead because it was it was it launched so many things. You know, without The Walking Dead, there wouldn't be Firewatch, and Firewatch has changed my life. Um, you know, and then also Darksiders 3, I met some really amazing people, and I got to, that was really my first big lead. You know, Delilah was a lead, but she was very indie, and Darksider was, was my first, like, lead lead in a, in a big game. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a animated show I'm working on right now called The Owl House that is so much fun, and I get to play the main villain um, I, I narrated a, an Academy Award nominated documentary that was about Syria and the, 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 the things that they're going through over there. And that meant so much to me just to be able to give voice to some of the crap that's happening in the world. I just did a, a commercial for, you know, thanking healthcare workers for God's sake. And like that meant so much to me. Yeah. That um, was an emotional gut, gut punch. Yeah. And then, you know, Call of the Sea, I really think is going to be special. I, I, I cannot pick one. I can't. I can't. I've been really, really fortunate to work on some of the most incredible properties from from all walks of voiceover. And uh, and I'm just really grateful. Well, you've worked in a number of properties that I think a lot of gamer gamers are, are very well uh, are versed in and familiar with. And Famous Seamus wrote in asking about your role as Nora Freeze in Arkham Knight. Uh, was it hard to provide a voice to a character that is so few lines across all the Batman media? I think I was the first to ever give her voice. And no, it was great because I, I didn't feel like I was going to be compared to Grey Delisle or Tara Strong or, you know, anybody else who had done her before. It was She was mine to create. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And I also got to record in the studio with Maurice LaMarche. And aside from Firewatch, that's the only time that has ever happened. Um, and I don't know if you know Maurice LaMarche, but he's the voice of the brain and Pinky and the brain. And, you know, like he was the voice of my childhood. And there I was sitting in the room with him trying desperately not to, like, wet myself in fangirldom. It was amazing. Yeah, that I mean, that that sounds super cool. And again, it's probably really rewarding to be in the booth with them Yeah, uh, to, to not have to step on the toes of of the greats, as you, you mentioned, Tara Strong and whatnot. You have had the opportunity to 
work with many of those people in those same spaces. And, and Famous Seamus asks again, what's it like to work on projects where you're working with the Dave Fenoys, the Troy Bakers, Kevin Conroys, etc.? When you work alongside these people, is it intimidating? Are you truly alongside them in these cases? What's it like to work with, with other well-known voice actors? That's great. I mean, the, the thing about voiceover is that with very few exception, everybody is super, super cool. It's a very supportive really engaging, very warm community of people. Um, you know, I, I I do not work in on camera, but a lot of my friends who do have said that uh, it is the polar opposite of on camera, you know, where it, it can be very catty and backstabby and, and um, there's a lot of jealousy. Voiceover is so gracious and supportive and lovely, again, with very few exception. And, you know, mm -hmm. working with some of these people, you know, in these games, it's it's like, going to a family reunion sometimes, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if you get to see them or if there's a rap party or, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of times we just, we record in our void and that's that. And then when it comes out, it's like, oh, cool. You're in that too. All right. Awesome. You know, mm -hmm. um, but like, like a game like The Walking Dead that was so emotionally wrenching, um, I didn't know anybody because again, it was my first game. And, uh, you know, the, the other actors, Melissa Hutchison, who's Clementine, and Gavin Hammond, who's Kenny, and, um, you know, a bunch of the others used to meet up um, every month or so to have a beer in, in the Bay Area. And my friend took me along one time, and I walked in, and, and I was like, um, hi, hi, guys, uh, I'm, I'm Katya. And everyone was immediately like, Katya, oh, my God, you know, and they're still some of my closest friends to this day. Um, so it just, you know, I don't know. It's That's all over cool. the place. Yeah, it's That's amazing. That's cool, though. That's cool. Do you, now, okay, so this one's for me. When you see them in a, the your characters that you voiced, once you see them in action, do you have you ever had a conversation with an animator or with an artist who who did something different than maybe you had in your head, and like together kind of work through what one was thinking versus the other? No. 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 There, it's that's their artistic license, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I, my job is to give them enough color if you will in the booth to give them something to animate you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah so like if i just deliver every line super flat that doesn't give them much to do with but if i take breaths or i i don't know add some emotion or some size or like maybe i'm smoking a cigarette or whatever um not in real but you know just um i'm with you <laughs> yeah it just it gives them something to actually animate too um and then, you know, I can pick apart my performance as I watch it later. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, our last question from a listener uh, comes in. Toby uh, Weedman, he asked, or he states, uh, okay, so you're chuckling. This is where I was like, all right, does, does, do we know this? He has two questions for you. Uh, the first, you have a deeper register than some female voiceovers. Has this worked in your favor or hindered your job opportunities? And then the second question he wants to know, and again, real real thin ice for Luke to have to ask this. Uh, what's with the hair? <laughs> And so I need you to elaborate what's with the hair before you talk to me about your voice register. Toby. Uh, Toby is a dear friend of mine. He works for the BAFTA organization in the UK, and he gave me one of the most amazing tours of London. Um, he spent an entire day and just showed me around the whole city. It was amazing. Um, Toby, the hair is my own. Deal with it. Um, in terms of uh, lower voice register, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely lends itself to... You know, strong female character, villain, um, a lot of like, you know, motherly in nature type. I, I'm not really big into like 
the super perky sound because it's just not where I sit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's I mean it's me. It's what works. It's worked. It's worked okay so far. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> well, Sissy Jones, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experiences and your insights. To me, it was a pure joy to get to learn more about the role of a voice actor, some of the specific roles you worked in. Thank you for donating your time today. Thank you so much. It's really nice to talk with you. Uh, do you have anywhere that you would like people to follow or any upcoming projects you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, you can find me on the Twitters at Sissy Speaks and same with Instagram. Um Keep an eye out for a Call of the Sea. It's going to be something really, really cool. And if you haven't watched Owl House on Disney yet, do because it's fun.